Hello and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. In the midst of a growing commitment by healthcare organizations to improve health equity, many hospitals have appointed health equity officers focused on reducing health disparities that have been thoroughly documented in research over the past few decades. Now, the role of health equity officer is fairly new, which leads to questions about their role and how they perceive the challenges they face. What are early lessons from the move to hospital health equity officers? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Joel Weissman, Professor of Surgery and Health Policy at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Weissman and co-authors published a paper in the October 2023 issue of Health Affairs examining how health equity officers in hospitals are addressing the effects of racism. Their paper provides quantitative results regarding the hospital environment and is supplemented by in-depth interviews that capture more nuance regarding the experiences of these health equity officers. We'll discuss what Dr. Weissman and colleagues found in today's episode, but before we do that, I do want to note this is our last newly recorded episode for 2023. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in January 2024 with many new episodes of A Health Odyssey. Well, Dr. Weissman, with that introduction, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about what I think is very important work by hospital equity officers and the challenges that they face. Well, let's do exactly that. So this is, as I noted, a relatively new role. Tell us a little bit about what it means to be a health equity officer. How they come into existence? How many of them do you find? Uh, what What are they supposed to do? Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to begin with a quote from James Baldwin, an author and activist who wrote about racism in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. In an essay for the New York Times, he wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And I really think this encapsulates the critical motivation for the creation of this position of equity officers in hospitals. So I think most of those listening today are no doubt aware of the role of DEI officers, diversity, equity, inclusion, and sometimes belonging, that exist, have, have existed for some time in various organizations. In the past, most hospitals have addressed DEI by focusing on their internal HR processes, such as employee hiring, compensation, compliance. But with the onset of COVID and the George Floyd death, hospitals began paying more attention to health and healthcare disparities. And so whereas the D and the I and DEI are more inward facing about the internal culture of the hospital, the E is for equity about reducing health disparities among their patient population and the surrounding communities. So the position of equity officer got really supercharged if you will, in the last year with new equity standards from the Joint Commission and with the new attestation-based commitment to equity measure from CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So our goal was to get a feel for who these folks were, what they do, how to, you know, create a roadmap going forward. We did a survey and, you know, you asked about how common they are, which is the first problem that we had which is that nobody knows. And we were partnering with the Institute for Diversity and Health Equity at the American Hospital Association. And if they didn't know, nobody would know. And normally when you do a survey, you have a list of people you're talking to. We didn't have that. So we had to call up all the hospitals or, or else use other, um, based on other surveys at the AHA and our own screening questions. And we ended up estimating that from over about 5,000 community hospitals in the U.S., around 1,100 equity officers existed at the time of our survey. 
Okay, so they're relatively new. They're, by rough estimates, a quarter, a fifth of hospitals, but not 75%. You wouldn't be off by that much. And as you noted, you did some interviews with them in addition to a broad survey. Let's start with some of the survey results. I was actually struck by one dimension of your results, which is the demographic characteristics of the officers themselves. So who do we find in these roles? You know, before answering that, it's important to remind people of the demographics of the country as a whole in U.S. hospitals, right? So the number of people uh, in underrepresented minorities, even though it's been growing, is 75% of the country still identifies as white, blacks at about 12%, Latinx at about 20%. And relevant to the study, the vast majority of hospitals are majority white. It shouldn't be surprising that despite the focus on health equity for underrepresented minority patients, the majority of our respondents, 58%, were white, non-Hispanic. 27% were Black or African American, and 10% were Latinx. About two-thirds of these folks are female. And if we go beyond the demographics, and I'm not sure which parts, uh, Alan, you were most interested in, but you know what, what we thought was interesting was we were going to individual hospitals, and then we got a call from a colleague of mine at a big uh, academic health system who said, Joel, we don't have equity officers at the local independent hospital level. We only have it at the system level. And, you know, this is important for a couple of reasons, because some of the standards collected by Joint Commission and CMS are at the individual hospital level, but also because you have to worry about how can they interact with the community if the leadership is at the systems level. But they're working on it. But it was an important fact to be aware of in terms of how we conducted the survey and the kinds of responses that we got. You mention or ask my surprise. I mean, I think you point out appropriately that hospital leadership is majority white in this country. And so we're going to see that reflected here. I do think the inversion of the ratio of black to Latino and Latina is interesting where Latino and Latina are a much larger share of the U.S. population, but a much smaller share of people in this role. And uh, so that was one of the things that stood out to me, but I'll leave it to the listener to have their own uh, assumptions about what they would have expected to find. Well, so these folks, as you note, uh, they sit in the hospital structure and, as you also note, sometimes at the system level. But one of the things you asked about was how much support they feel they get from leaders in the hospital system. And there are different types of leadership in that system. So I wonder if you could say a little bit about what you found about how supported they felt and particularly by whom. Uh, you know, what we, before we did this, we did some preparatory interviews and, uh, you know, we, I, we spoke with some leaders in the movement and, and they were they sort of cautioned us. They thought that there'd be a lot of places where there wasn't much support. But I, we were at least partly wrong, or at least among the sample of people who responded to the survey. We found that 80 percent of respondents said that their CEOs, their chief executive officers, were perceived as being very supportive about two-thirds of other executive leaders and members of the board. The the difference was the level was decidedly lower among clinical leaders. Only a little over half were reported to be very supported, with an additional 34% reported as moderately supportive. And in addition to that, about half of survey respondents cited resistance from frontline clinical staff as an obstacle to their work. So I think there are two important points to make about these findings. One is the explanation we think behind the perception that clinical staff is being less supportive is that in other interviews, they feel like the concern over equity is targeted at them since they are the ones providing the care, unlike you know many other staff members in the hospital. And so equity officers are going to need to be sensitive to that perception and also to provide education where it's appropriate. 
Second, uh, you know, a couple of caveats. One is that it's possible that respondents just from good environments may have answered to our survey, so maybe that overly rosy. But also, it's really important to understand that there are some environments for this work that can be pretty hostile, to the point that we've heard that people don't think it's wise to publicly use words like racism or even equity. And this could incur in certain states that are legislating against health equity efforts, which I think is a great topic for investigation. But even in more liberal states, we found that support for health equity can vary dramatically from community to community or even from stakeholder to stakeholder. So it's difficult to paint with a broad brush over this issue. When you talk about support, of course, the one thing that stands out for me is presumably these positions are created by leadership. So there must be some support for it or they wouldn't have them. But also that you have I suppose what the economists would call a very high level of selection bias. You're only asking institutions where there is an equity officer. So you can imagine that in the three quarters plus or minus of hospitals where there isn't one, we have no idea whether or not there'd be support for one, but there there isn't enough support to create the position. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. Uh, again, we think this is going to change. Uh, the Joint Commission now uh, recommends as a standard that somebody in charge of this function of reducing disparities, which is kind of the main role of an equity officer, should be established. The commitment to equity from CMS sort of suggests the same sort of thing. So we think that there's going to be a rapid growth in these positions. Yes, I, that's right. In, in sort of the say, it'd be interesting to compare first round and second round. But, you know, I also just want to highlight your comment about frontline. You know, we know in healthcare a lot. Think about the move to reduce medical errors. Very critical dimension of success is moving away from a sense of blame to a sense of systemic responsibility and the need for a systemic response. And you can easily imagine without proper uh, preparation that someone swooping in saying we need to address all of these disparities is going to uh, come across in the first instance as as another place of blaming if you don't create a safe environment. So hopefully some of these equity officers can learn from the patient safety movement and adopt some of the strategies they've used to to reduce resistance. We've just heard uh, over and over again that one of their roles is to kind of be the the squeaky wheel, but also to sort of educate people. And they need to be good at that. And it's not a skill that everybody has. And, you know, something I was going to sort of save till the end. But I mean, you know, a lot of these folks, it's interesting. They see it as a calling. You know, they come from other fields or other positions in the hospital and they just see it as something they want to do. But you're right, they have to be careful about how to proceed. As noted, you asked some very direct questions about the role of racism. And I'd like to get into what you heard about that topic from the health equity officers. Um, We'll dive into that after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Joel Weissman about how hospitals are addressing the effects of racism. Findings in the paper published in the October 2023 issue are based on a mixed methods study of health equity officers. We started by discussing some of the quantitative findings and some of the demographics, but there were in the uh, in-depth interviews some discussions about racism and the role that racism plays. It was also in the survey. I found this sort of the heart of the paper and hope we can spend a little bit of time on it. 
Can you just start with maybe the top line? What were some of the points that health equity officers made about the role of racism uh, in the conversations you have? We addressed this topic in two ways. First, by trying to understand how racism presents as a barrier to their progress. And second, just trying to learn about ways that equity officers and the hospitals where they work are attempting to address the issue. And we collected information from both the survey and from our follow-up in-depth interviews. So in the survey, we asked about how racism in its various forms, institutional, structural, created obstacles to achieving their health equity goals. Over half of the respondents cited racist beliefs by individuals in the hospital or health system or institutional or structural policies that perpetuate racism. And this perception from the survey was reinforced in our interviews, where the vast majority of our respondents recognized racism within their hospitals or health systems, resulting from both unconscious bias and even overt racism. It is worth noting, and I don't think we were fully aware of this at the time, that racism goes both ways, both from staff towards patients and the other way around. For example, from assuming that black female physicians are part of the housekeeping staff to patients specifically saying they don't want to be treated by a physician wearing a hijab. So it really goes both ways. Then we try to learn in a very preliminary way what hospitals are doing to address racism. And the most common sentiment is that the equity officers fully recognize their ability to change society is extremely limited and that this is more a social and a public health problem. There's only so much they can do or even a hospital can do, even a large health system. At the same time, as I mentioned before, you know, they have a commitment to being the squeaky wheel, overcoming unconscious bias as a critical piece of what they do. But there were some concrete steps. So, for example, uh, some hospitals are beginning to collect information about instances of racism that they can react to or, or intervene on, including uh, having reporting portals, code systems for staff, direct engagement with diversity or equity personnel. Others discussed ongoing staff and leadership training on racism, uh, including the development of various curricula, and still others reaching out to the community talk about how they're collaborating with community organizations to engage them through listening sessions and other methods of reaching new levels of understanding. So they're, they're, they're trying. It's a, it's a part of what they're doing. I think it's more difficult. Yeah, so I really appreciate you sharing the breadth of activities and also highlighting the two-way nature of this. I hear that a lot, that if you're going to tackle topics of racism and equity, you have to be aware that the patients and patients' families are participants in the ecosystem as much as the clinicians. And this is not just about working with the clinical staff to have them change their behavior, change their approach. I, I will say at a personal level, again, since I've been heavy on the commentary this discussion, um, I was almost surprised at the what I would think of as relatively low levels of commenting on racism and racist structures as being major factors in the work that they had to do. It was more than 50%, but I would have, I guess, thought it would be up at the 90% level. So that was just my own uh, bit of a surprise. I don't know if that surprised you, but, uh, but that was something that stood out for me. Sorry, I, I didn't have any preconceived notions about that. Yep. Um, I, I mean, I will That's say that... The, probably the, makes you a better researcher <laughs> than me. <laughs> you know, the, the, it was really the, the survey and the interviews were about sort of the broad work on disparities reduction and uh, and goes beyond racism into, you know, LGBT issues and, and gender issues and, and other sorts of things. So um, that may be why. 
No, I think there 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 are many good reasons the numbers wouldn't yeah. be a hundred percent. It was yeah. just that was the yeah. one that surprised me. Well, look, we're a policy journal and we're an empirical journal, so of course, when you have study findings talking about data, data availability, data quality, those all make my eyes light up. They may not make everyone else's eyes light up, but they certainly did mine. So you actually had some, I thought, some pretty interesting findings about data. Can you say a little bit about those? You know, access to health systems, health equity data was seen as critically important by a large majority of our respondents, not to mention the interviews that we did preparatory to the research. So we began by asking in the survey if they collected uh, data on race, ethnicity, language, and social determinants of health. And the fact is that almost everybody does. All, all the hosp- you know, almost all the hospitals are collecting that data. But although they're all collecting the data, only about half of them actually have gotten to the point where they stratify their performance metrics by these characteristics. In other words, by creating a sort of disparities dashboard. You know, that may be because they don't have the staff to analyze the data and do that sort of thing, or maybe they don't have the commitment yet, but, you know, that's a work in progress. There were particular concerns about data on social determinants of health, which are becoming more and more important. Uh, are some of the, the standards being set by CMS? This is actually a really important topic, and I'm going to take a couple minutes here. First, there's confusion out there about when to collect these data, how often, in what clinical settings. You know, and how do you do that in a secure and confidential way? And second, even if they figure that out, there's not really a standardized set of questions. And that was seen as an obstacle. And then third, this just goes on and on. Even if they're able to collect the data systematically, our equity officer respondents spoke about the obstacles to actually use the information to actually address disparities. So in some cases, there were no protocols. I mean, you know, they have to have a course of action to follow. Just collecting the data doesn't really get you there. And then when protocols existed, they usually involved partnering with community organizations. Now, this everybody's talking about this. Oh, we just have to partner with the community organizations. Well, first of all, you have to find those community organizations. They have to be willing to partner with you. And finally, I think which came as a bit of a surprise to us, but is no doubt common knowledge among equity officers, is that the very community organizations that are best suited to address the social needs of patients can quickly become overwhelmed with a large influx of referrals. So just having that good relations is not good enough, and there needs to be a lot more infrastructure support. So I think this issue, to me, is a critical issue to solve if we're to move forward on equity and health, and not just equity and health care. Well, uh, I hope the listeners can understand why I thought this was such a rich area for exploration, and I'm glad you described it in as much uh, detail as you did. And, you know, it does again point to me, it's a very different thing, as hard as it may be, as we discussed earlier, to have conversations internal to the hospital about implicit bias and how to respond to uh, overtly racist acts. Those are very difficult conversations to have, but they're not developing entirely new systems and models of care. And if you're placing on one person or a relatively small team the responsibility for figuring out what to do with all this new information you're gathering about how people don't have stable housing and food at home and go find the organizations outside the hospital that can fix this for it, that's a, another order of magnitude or two in complexity to looking inside your own building and trying to figure out uh, how to 
people can be aware of their own biases. And so this, I think, actually leads me to, as we come towards the end of our conversation, this question of, you know, where do we go from here? So this is, as you said in the paper, uh, the words you used were an early glimpse. I think that sounds just right. Let's imagine, as you've described, that due to both the Joint Commission and CMS actions, the existence of the the number of these officers uh, it continues to increase, and those who were in the early cohort start building more experience. And there you are, uh, three or five years from now, saying, I wonder how things have changed. So what kind of questions would you ask? What would you hope to learn? Yeah, so I, I'll go back for a second to the fact that you pointed out how complex this is. And, you know, the scope of expertise that we expect these folks to have is really broad. One thing that we learned as we sort of dived into this is that equity officers need to be collaborators. They need to collaborate and be able to discuss these issues with other people who have more expertise, people who know data analysis, people who know communication abilities, people who know you know different sorts of program building and so on. In terms of where it's going to be three to five years from now, first of all, I still think that there will be a lot of people in these positions who will not necessarily be called equity officers. You know, in, in our survey, we had over 100 different uh, titles, but I just think there are many places we've heard about that they can't use the word equity. It's gonna, you're going to have to continue to sort of identify it by the function of the position. I think one of the key questions going forward is, are equity officers effective? Are they reducing disparities either among their own patient population or the community? Having said that, I'm going to go back, you know, you mentioned about the patient safety movement, and I think there are a number of areas that healthcare focuses on where they get caught up on trying to come up with actual empirical evidence that this is actually making a difference when the reality is this is something that should be done. Patient safety should be done, right? Patient-centered care should be done. Cultural competency should be done. So this is something that should be done, but I think it's we need to investigate what kind of impact they have on disparities and can find some evidence along those ideas. We need to think about how these equity officers function and what their effect is across different types of hospitals. You know, they're the broad, they're the big health systems, big academic health systems. I mean, in MGB where I work, Mass General Brigham, I mean, there's, I don't know, there, there probably are dozens of people in this task, but then you've got critical access in smaller hospitals where somebody may be doing this very part-time. The other question I think in the future is we've been focused on race, ethnicity. Uh, Will they broaden their focus to other populations about just poverty, just uh, people uh, from low socioeconomic status, LGBT, uh, immigrants, and so on? And then another thing that we've been hearing that I think we want to investigate in the future is right now these positions are new. We've heard the possibility that there's burnout and there's going to be turnover. And so I think that's something that we need to keep our eye on. Well, well, that's such a great list of things to look for in the future. And uh, it's really excellent to have, if you will, a baseline, or, or at least this early glimpse, as you say, uh, because presumably the answers to a lot of those questions are going to change. And we are going to see a lot more people in this role, and some of them probably in significantly less supportive environments. So all of the questions you're asking are ones that uh, time hopefully will tell, and good research will give us some guidance. And your mixed method approach also seems very well suited because we both want to have this sort of survey data, but the, the how and the why and more of insight into what's really going on helps uh, bring those data to life in a way that we really all need. So 
Dr. Weissman, thank you so much for the paper, for uh, leading work in, a, in an emerging area, and today for being my guest on a health policy. Thank you very much. You know, we got the message that equity is never a fully achieved target, but it's an ongoing and iterative goal, and I think we'll be at this for quite some time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy.